Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Thank you for coming out on a little bit of a rainy day, but I saw it as kind of an affirmation to what we're going to talk about today. That is the Holy Spirit as water, as a metaphor for water. I was like, okay, God, thanks. I appreciate the endorsement. That's really good. We're sending some rain this morning. It's good to see everybody. If this is your first time with us at the Vineyard, welcome. And uh, we, uh, for about five weeks, we took a look. We kind of approached God and we approached Christ in a very intellectual way, like looking for facts and uh, just a very cerebral approach to the proof that I feel like God has given us, evidence that requires us to make a decision if God really is telling the truth when he talks about Jesus Christ. Now, I enjoyed that whole journey five weeks because it just kind of fits my personality, looking at all the statistics and all, but if you know anything about this relationship with God, your intellect, your ability to reason and think things out will only carry you so far because when things get really tough, you really want somebody there with you. The thinking doesn't always get you through that. The Holy Spirit is that part of the Godhead that God has made provision for for us and given us so that we can know his presence, that we can experience his presence. So I don't want to just do five weeks of intellectual pursuit of God as much as I enjoy that because I think there is enough evidence that it requires us to consider the claims of Christ. But I also want to look at how does God reveal himself experientially? not just intelligently and through a thinking process, but also how does he make himself known to us? Um, You remember the first time you ever jumped in the ocean? I mean, we live at the beach. What a great place to live. Do you remember what it felt like the first time you dived? I don't remember the ocean because I've been in it since almost birth, but I do remember uh, my dad teaching me to swim. There's a bridge about 10 miles from here, that when I was, the story goes, when I was about five years old, there it is. No, that's not me. But uh, I was out riding my bike last summer, late one summer afternoon, and uh, decided I'd ride out to where my family's from and been in this area for centuries. And I rode out, and there were these three kids uh, at this bridge, and they were just having the time of their life, jumping off, turning flips, having a big time. And I stopped because when I was about five years old, my dad, the story goes, took me to that bridge and threw me off of it and said, swim, son, swim. And uh, then he jumped in right behind me, of course, and it's not very deep there, actually. And uh, he was there with me, and, and I swam to shore. But water, the whole medium of water does something to us. And when you're in it, when you feel it, you walk down to the beach, the minute your toes hit the sand and the waves wash up between your toes and you feel that, there's this invigoration, this sense of, uh, of wonderment. And so God uses water, and the writers of the scripture used water to describe the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I thought, that's the first one I want to take on as an emblem. 
is a metaphor, and that is water. Uh, water, this day, when those guys were jumping off the bridge, it was really crazy because water can also be a unifying factor. We've got so many factions in the world today and even in church, but water kind of brings people together. I mean, there were three guys. There were two white guys and an African-American guy, These, and they were having the time of their life together because of the water, jumping off and enjoying it. I'm old enough to remember the city swimming pool. Do you remember that? The public swim, when everybody gathered in the summertime, it was the place. I mean, once you jumped in the water, everybody was the same. We were all together. We were all experiencing the same thing, feeling the wonderment of it. And, uh, and so God uses water as a metaphor, as a picture of what the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, does when he comes into our life. Billy Graham, you know who he is? I mean, I know a lot of people don't nowadays. It's crazy. But Billy Graham... Uh, here he's going to do another big uh, thing. He's, what, 94, 95 years old now, and he's going to do one more big uh, outreach. But uh, Billy Graham said this, Everywhere I go, I find God's people lack something. They are hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all that they expected, and they often have recurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Billy Graham. But who is the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? Is that just some esoteric saying? I mean, what does that mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we're going to take the next four weeks and look at who the Holy Spirit is who he is, using the metaphors that the Bible uses, like water and wind and fire and the dove, and what uh, the personalities, uh, traits of the Holy Spirit, and what he has done, what he has come to do in our lives. Over in John, uh, the 14th chapter, you've heard me make reference to this before, there are three chapters there together, John 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus is having a conversation with his best friends. And he has started to tell them that he is going to leave them. Now, they didn't get that. They didn't understand that. They had high hopes that Jesus was going to be around for a very long time with them. That Jesus was going to kick the Romans out, deal with the religious leaders, set up his own kingdom, of which his disciples would help lead. And so they were all looking forward to that. Well, in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus starts talking about, I'm going to go away. I'm... It's, I'm not going to be here much longer. And of course, the disciples get distraught. They've been walking with him for three years, and they're like, you're going away? Why would you do that? Where are you going, and why are you leaving us? And Jesus says in John 14, verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to leave. But when I leave, I'm going to give you another counselor. In other words, I've been your counselor. I've been with you all these years. But I'm going to send another one, like me. I'm going to send another one alongside you. But not only will he be with you, He will be inside of you. 
Jesus could only be in one place at one time and be alongside his disciples. But Jesus says, if I don't go back to the Father, you will never have the Holy Spirit living in you. You will not know what it means to have that other comforter with you. So I've got to go back to the Father. I've got to go back so that I can send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And who is this Holy Spirit? Who is this other comforter? Who is this counselor? Who is this, the word means one who comes alongside, who is close to you, is in you? Who is this Holy Spirit? And, you know, if you're seeking, if you're like still haven't made that decision, you haven't stepped across the line yet in following Christ, this is for you too because what you're going to hear over these next four weeks, you're going to hear the provision that God has made for you. If you decide to start following Christ and you give in to that pull that you feel the Father pulling on you, This is the comforter, the assistant. This is the one who will come along to empower you to live the life that God has made provision for. And so you want to hear about this. You want to hear who this Holy Spirit is. And one of the things we need to be reminded of is that Jesus, when he lived his human life here out on the earth, he lived it in submission to the Holy Spirit. What we see Jesus doing in the Gospels he did by way of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we see this and we go, man, Tim, Jesus was the Son of God. I mean, gosh, if I was the Son of God, yeah, I could do that too. But we forget that Jesus lays aside that ability as the Son of God and he lives as a human, fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. So when we look at Jesus' life, we see an example of what it's like to live full of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus said these phenomenal things like, these and greater things will you do. I mean, that's kind of intimidating, isn't it? I mean, you look at Jesus' life, and you hear him say to you, these and greater things are you going to do. Well, how is that possible? How is it possible to do that? Only by way of God's presence, the Holy Spirit. Maybe you remember in John 4, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus has sent his disciples off to go get a happy meal, bring it back. They're hungry. Jesus is tired. He sits down at this well. He's by himself. This lady comes out, bringing the empty jar to get the water. She's thirsty. She's lonely. She's broken. She comes out during a period of the day when nobody could see her probably, and she'd be alone. She comes, and there's this rabbi sitting there by the well. And Jesus says this to her in verse 13 of John 4. Everyone who drinks this water, the water you're going to draw out of this well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And of course, that gets the ladies. She just goes, give me this water. I mean, she misses it at first because she thinks it's like real water, like, oh, I won't ever have to come back out here in the heat again to get water. But he's talking to her soul, the thirst of her soul, and saying, listen, I know what's going on in your life, and I know you thirst for relief, and I know you thirst. And if you'll drink the water that I offer you, then a stream is going to be able to replenish your life continually. And he got her attention. Over in John 4, or excuse me, John 7, as you move on in the book of John, you get to a point in time where Jesus is at this great feast that the Israelites celebrated. And they're reading from Isaiah 12, 3, uh, there in John 7. And 
In John 7, 3, it says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Jesus is reading that scripture of the promise that's going to happen one day when Messiah comes. When Messiah comes, there will be a stream of water that will be opened up to the people. A stream they've never experienced before and they've never tasted before. And Israel was looking forward to the day. So what the rabbi would do is he would take some water from the pool of Siloam. And there would be the altar there at the temple. And they would take the water and he would quote this scripture. And as it says in John 7, 37, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, this is at this feast, and he said it loud so everybody could hear him, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And as he was saying this, they would take the water as a promise of the stream, of the presence of God, of the Holy Spirit coming. And they would take this water, I'm getting in trouble, it's electricity up here. And they would take it and throw it up on the altar of God. Can you see Jesus doing that now? Pouring out that water in that and saying, the time is coming. When this water you have looked forward to will be poured out on the altar and it will come up in your life and it will satisfy your thirst. And Jesus is saying, it's here. It's here in me. What a a moment. The Holy Spirit is coming. Over in Ezekiel, the 36th chapter, we see a promise. This is our launching text this morning for... uh, For today, Ezekiel, many hundreds of years prior to Jesus, prophesied that the day would come. What will it look like when the Holy Spirit comes? In Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, we read, I, this is speaking as God speaking to his people, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. Come and do only what you can do with your presence. Breathe life on your word. Open our hearts to receive you, to be filled by you, to experience your presence. We need you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in your handout, you've got two fill-ins in a place if you want to track along with me. There's a pen there, too, if you'd like to take notes. And uh, we're going to look at the Spirit as water for just a few minutes here. The Spirit as water. The Spirit as water, the first thing there is, cleanses us. Cleanses us. In Ezekiel 36, 25 through 26, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. Have you ever been so dirty that you couldn't wait to get in the shower? I told the first service, my dad uh, was a contractor in this area his whole life. And 
we built some of the hotels that are up and down the beach here and some of the banks and built probably 80% of the houses in Conway and a good percentage of them around here. And we were working on, back in the, when I was a very young man, we were working on a hotel down here on the oceanfront. And we were pouring concrete and going straight on up, you know, and I'd worked all day and came in. We were probably married three years or something. And I was so dirty, I thought it was historic. I mean, I came in and I told Karen, I said, grab the camera. Grab the camera. And I won't put it up on the screen, don't worry. And, uh, but, but I said, take a picture because I'm as filthy as you can get. I mean, I had con- my hair was really long then. I was concrete stuck in my hair and in my beard. I had a beard too then. And it was like, it was, it was just filthy and sweated out. And just get a picture. And God says that there are going to be times in our life when we become so dirty and so encumbered by the weights of the sins of this world and of our own lives that we look before him and go, is there any way in the world I could ever get clean from this? And the promise from Ezekiel is that one day the Holy Spirit will come and he will wash you clean. He will cleanse you in a way you've never been clean before. And you know what? The more you labor in this life and the more you sweat and work and try to make this thing work, the dirtier you get. I think all of us long for a washing, a cleansing. We long for finding some place where we can finally walk out of it, the shower, and look at ourselves and go, I'm actually clean. I actually don't feel like I'm carrying any grime at all in my life. And some of us this morning, we're, we're in here right now. There's dirt all over us. We can't see it on each other. We carry it. We wonder, is there any hope for us? Is there any way for me to get clean? Is there any way for me to feel clean? And I want to say it this way. I like to feel clean. I mean, it's kind of a sickness, isn't it? If you wash yourself completely and you still feel dirty. But God says he wouldn't do that to us. He would send his presence in such a way that we can feel clean and be clean. That's what Jesus said when he threw that water on the altar. It's happening in me. The Holy Spirit is going to come because I have come. I mean, there's a dirt that we carry with us, many of us, of not being able to measure up. No matter what we do, we can't get there. Ever felt like that? You take one step up in your own sense of importance and value and self-esteem. You take one step up and you start feeling a little good. And you step back and you feel bad. And it's like a grime. It's like a dirt. It's like a weight that is just draped upon your shoulder. Our culture does that to us. Constantly barrage you with messages that you can't measure up. That you're of no value. That That is like a filth that will fill us. And the Holy Spirit has been promised to us to cleanse us from that. To free us. And like I said before, we spent five weeks talking about the intellectual pursuit of God. But you know what? Sometimes just going, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. I'm clean, I'm clean. Doesn't get it. You try to talk yourself into thinking you're all right. You ever done that? I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. Okay, if I say it 36 times, I'm going to be all right. I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And you just keep saying it trying to talk yourself like I'm I'm in this intellectual pursuit to make myself feel clean 
to make myself feel of value, to feel like I'm worth it. Or maybe it's, I've done things in my life and I can't get free. The minute I get free with them, from them for maybe six hours, even 24 hours, suddenly this memory comes back or I see someone that reminds me of my failure. I can't get clean. I can't get free. Where's the water of life? Where's the cleansing to free me, to wash me, to free me so I can stand and go, I feel clean and refreshed. And I know I've been cleansed. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. We can talk about it all day long, but when the Holy Spirit comes on us in power, we know it. And we need that. Listen to me, followers of Jesus. We need that. We need the power of God resident in our life. We need to feel the springs of life coming up in our heart. We need to feel the shower and the cleansing of God's approval on our life through Christ. We need to experience it, not just know it intellectually. We need to experience it. I don't want somebody telling me I'm clean when I feel dirty. I want to be clean. I want to get out of the shower and not see one piece of grime. And the Holy Spirit has been given so that we can know that and experience that. It's not a matter of talk, but of power. Uh, years ago, Larry Crabb, a famous, kind of a famous Christian counselor, has written tons of books. He used to do a lot of counseling, and so I'd read everything that Larry had, had written. And Karen and I one time got invited to a small meeting with him. And uh, he made this comment that adults most adults do not change outside of an experience when we're really young we can be kind of molded fashioned but when we become adults and many of you know this you don't change unless something bumps into your life Some, sometimes it's a traumatic situation something bumps your life and you have to revisit some things. There's some energy. There is something that causes you to reassess your life, look at it, and out of that orbit, you've been broken out of that orbit, all of a sudden you have the energy to change. The Holy Spirit's power is needed in our life, and I'll say this especially for those of us who are older. We don't change. We're set in our ways. We've got habits. We've got addictions. We've got things we do that we've just made friends with, and we've gone like, okay, hey, how you doing? I've known you for about 30 years. Yeah, good to see you. I don't like you, but I know you're with me for life. And we don't change. Outside of something powerful, 1 Corinthians 4.20, bumping into our life, and causing us to have one of those moments of clarity when we sense God's approval and his power in our life to change us. The Bible states that Jesus is Lord, but the Spirit makes that real to me. I don't want just to believe that in my head. I want to experience what it means for Jesus to be the master, the boss, the Lord of my life. And that's 1 Corinthians 12, 3. The Bible states that God is the Father, but the Spirit makes that real to me. How do I know that he's my father and that he loves me and cares for me? Only through the spirit, the power of the spirit. Romans 8, 15. The Bible states that God is glorious, but the spirit makes that real to me. 2 Corinthians three ten. 
The Bible states that God is love, but the Spirit makes that real to me. Ephesians 3, 16. And I want to experience those. I don't want to just read about them. I want to taste it because I need it because I will never be what God has for me to be if I don't experience that and continue to experience it. This is not just a thinking journey. It's not just a cerebral exercise, this thing we call Christianity or following Jesus. God has provided his spirit to reside, to live within us, to make this a very real thing. We're going to have a water baptism here. When is it? Next week? Two weeks? Next, down at 65th Avenue, surfing spot. Yep, maybe it'll be waves like last time. And... um, We're going to have a baptism. Water baptism is another picture, actually, of what the Holy Spirit kind of does in our lives as well. I mean, we stand before God dirty, but we step out into the waters of redemption, and we bury our old life down into that grave, and God comes and washes away all the grime and the sin from our lives. And then as we come up out of that water, we feel the cleansing, the washing to a new life to follow Jesus. The baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit even goes beyond that in the fact that it's the the Greek picture is kind of like a boat that's been sunk into the ocean and all the doors in that boat have been opened up so that the water fills every single compartment. See, the Holy Spirit wants to sink us in His presence and fill us with His presence every part of our life. That baptism, that filling. And I don't know about you, but I knew when I was thrown into the water it was an experience. I didn't go, hey, where am I? You know, it was like that. Or walked up on the beach and uh, walked up on the that little white sandy shore over on the Waccamaw going, what just happened to me? I don't know. I knew I was in the water. You know it when the water begins to flow in your life. You know when the wells of rejoicing and the wells of the Holy Spirit begin to flow inside of you and fill you. It is an experience. You can taste it. You can sense it. You can feel it, and it changes us. And you know what? It's not a one-time deal. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a one-time deal. Why? Because we leak. We leak. We get filled, and then we start the cares of this world and all the things that are around us. We get holes punched, and I started to pull out my knife and start punching holes in this. (laughs) We leak. I once saw a preacher dump the whole bottle of water over his head as an example. These are my sources from many years ago. So he just said, we need to be baptized. And he poured it, poured it all over his head in his suit. This was, I mean, anyway, you get the point. There's water, water pouring out. I'm so tempted, man. <laughs> Sometimes my passion exceeds my intellect. But um, we leak. We leak because we live in a broken world. So we get filled up and up and up with the Holy Spirit. It's imperative that we find a place to be filled with His presence because sure enough, tomorrow the devil, the world, the cares of this world are going to punch a hole in the side of this vessel and we're going to begin to leak out. And so we have to go back to God and we filled again. In the scripture, as we look at the book of Acts, which we're going to look at in the weeks ahead, we see that we're told to be filled. This is literally what it says. Be filled and continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or go on being filled. Go on being filled. You started this journey. You were filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't stop there. Go on being filled. 
Go on being filled with his presence. It's not a one-time deal. Jesus was hanging on the cross in John 19. And if you remember the Easter story, the soldiers had gone around to the three guys that were hanging on the cross there. They went to the two thieves. They had broken their legs to try to hasten death. They would walk up to them with a big mallet and crush their kneecaps as they hung on the cross to try to hasten their death and to make sure they were dead. Well, they came to Jesus, and he was already dead, and they didn't break a bone in his body. As you know, that fulfilled one of the prophecies in the Old Testament because it said no bone would be broken in his body. But they came up to Jesus, and the soldier looked at him in John 19.39, he took out the spear, and he jabbed it in Jesus' side. Does anybody know what flowed out? Do you remember? Blood and water. Blood and water. Blood in that Jesus is our forgiveness. He has come to provide forgiveness for us, redemption for us. Water in that he has provided the Spirit of God. We're forgiven, and he brings his presence in the Holy Spirit to be with us. And if you saw the movie, you saw that water and that blood sprinkling all over the soldier as he stood there like a baptism. Now, John was no doctor. There is a medical reason why there was blood and water, why that sack that was pierced around his heart had blood and water in it, but that wasn't the point John was making. The point he was making is and was that Jesus has brought redemption and he has also brought the Holy Spirit for us. We need a cleansing. In the 19th century, there was a famous preacher named Charles Finney, quite a unique guy. He was a lawyer. Um, he, was, he was a little bit of a strange guy. Um, but I like Finney. I've got his lectures. Uh, you know, I've got his uh, sermons and, and uh, all of this. But uh, he said this. I mean, here he was, such a didactic person, such a line upon line type of thinker, lawyer, but suddenly he experienced Jesus in his life and the Holy Spirit in his life. And this is the way he described it. Waves and waves of liquid love. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. I literally bellowed out the unalterable, utterable gushings of my heart. From a good and proper 19th century lawyer. When the Holy Spirit comes, we know it. We experience it. Do you need your conscience cleansed? The Holy Spirit brings that forgiveness and He brings that cleansing and that washing. Has it eluded you? You just can't get over some things? Well, the Holy Spirit has been given to come to heal, to wash, to purge you of those things. We need the touch of God in our lives. The literal touch, just not the information. We need the touch of God. The 13th century, Frederick the Great in Germany decided he would do an experiment. So he told these orphanages that had these babies, he said, I don't want you touching them. I don't want you speaking to them, holding them, or anything. I want to see what kind of language they would speak if nobody ever spoke to them. Kind of harsh, don't you think? Well, so they didn't touch them. They didn't speak to these babies. What do you think? What language did they speak? They didn't. They all died. All of them died. Years later, a doctor 
another German, Fritz Talbot, right around the beginning of World War I, wanted to follow up on Frederick the Great's uh, experiments. Because at that period of time, and actually right on into the 20th century, the mortality rate in orphanages was 90%. 90% of the children were dying. And he wanted to know why. So he decided he would study some of the orphanages in Germany. And so he went in and he was looking around one day. And he saw in one orphanage, he saw this old lady holding this little baby in her arms, rocking him and just holding him close. And so Dr. Talbot walks over to one of the nurses and says, what's the story with, with her? And the nurse said, oh, that's old Hannah, old Anna. Whenever we have a baby who is not responding to the medicine or not responding to what we're doing, we give them to her. And she holds them and speaks to them and does her magic. And every one of them have gotten better. You see, we were created to be touched. We're not healthy when we are not touched by others and by God. God created us to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, to experience Him in our lives. I mean, older people, as you get older, you see everybody's... I mean, I saw a dog driving a car the other day. It looked like, I mean, you know... I had their dog sitting in front. I couldn't even see the person behind. And I was like, wow, look at that. And you know, as you get older, as you get older, you know what? People want animals around them, and it extends their life because they have someone to touch, someone to love them back. I'm telling you, we were meant to experience God. We are experiential people. That's the way God made us. We need to feel his presence We need to sense the water around us and in us flowing. And God has made provision in Jesus for us to be able to have that. Let's not do life just cerebrally. I mean, do you need a refreshing in your marriage? I mean, it's one thing to, one thing just to know the other person loves you and then to hear them say they love you and to feel the touch of their love. Is that not different? Instead of just having, I love you, or I love you. Having both heals us, touches us, restores us. God meant for us to experience the water. In our friendships, I just wonder, you know, if we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and let the love of God flow in our hearts, how much reconciliation could go on between us if we just submitted ourselves to the Holy Spirit and said, Lord, come, wash my heart, cleanse me. Because like the public swimming pool in the summertime, everybody jumps in, everybody's having a big time. Nobody knows who's from where or what, but we're all volleyball, we're having fun, we're all out in the ocean. Nobody knows. Water's a unifying factor. It just levels the playing field and people begin to get happy, joyful, and the things that we thought that bothered us don't bother us anymore. When we let the Holy Spirit, we let the water of God flow. Lastly, the Holy Spirit moves us. The Holy Spirit moves us in Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit, capital S, in you and move you to follow me. Follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You ever needed to be moved? You've been stuck in life? 
You've been stuck in your spiritual life? Like, I can't, I don't know what's happened to me, Tim. I'm stuck. I'm the same as I was 10 years ago. I haven't grown in my spirituality. I don't love Jesus anymore. I don't love people anymore. Um, my heart is becoming cold. I hear stories now. I have no compassion for people anymore. I used to, things used to grip my heart. They don't grip my heart anymore. And the Lord sends His Spirit to massage us, to give us a new heart of compassion for one another and for Him. You know, a river can transform a stagnant swamp into a teeming place of life. But we have to have the river flowing in, the life of God. John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, Jesus said, as the scripture has said, streams of living water, living water, will flow from within him. Maybe you've done all you can do. You've memorized scripture. You've claimed it, professed it, put on the happy face. Put on the happy face. Done everything you can, and nothing has changed inside. Your heart is still just as hard as it's ever been. And you feel your life just getting constricted by the moment. We need that life-giving stream of the Holy Spirit. C.H. Spurgeon, famous preacher uh, from back in the 19th century, was preaching on John 7:38, the scripture. And here's just a few lines of what he said. Now, Spurgeon, back in the 19th century, preached to as many as 10,000 people in one place. No PAs or anything like that, if you can imagine. 10,000 people in one time, hundreds of thousands of people in his lifetime. Spurgeon lived with a case of gout in his feet that was so bad that he couldn't even put socks on would just bring him to tears. So the man dealt with a lot of things in his life. But listen to this. Ask God to make you all that the Spirit of God can make you, not only as a satisfied believer who has drunk for himself, but as a useful believer who overflows the neighborhood with blessings. What a blessing it would be if they went back, talking about the visitors to his church. What if they went back to their respective churches overflowing? For there are numbers of churches that need flooding. They are dry as a barn floor and little dew ever falls on them. Oh, that they might be flooded. What a wonderful thing a flood is. Oh, for a flood of grace. The Lord send to all our churches a great spring tide. So may it be. May all who hear me this day get your share of the streams. Oh, that the Lord may now fill you and send you home, bearing a flood of grace. That's what the Lord has made provision for. A flood of grace for you this morning. As we begin this journey, I wonder if we could pray together that God would fill us with His presence famous Victorian minister and missionary Andrew Murray had this four kind of part four steps to being filled with the Holy Spirit that I wonder if we can do this this morning together and that is these there are four statements his first statement was saying this I must be filled and that is knowing that God commands us to be filled we're told to be filled And then he says, followed by, I may be filled. God has made provision for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then followed with, I should be filled. I should be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then to declare to God, I shall be filled. I wonder if we could pray that this morning together. Let's stand.
This is the beginning of our journey in the Holy Spirit. I hope you'll be praying with me as we begin this. Next week, we'll look at wind. The Holy Spirit is wind. We're going to ask the Lord, using Murray's statements here now, to do something in us. So I wonder if we can say these four things together. If we can put the, as, as Rachel puts them up on the screen, can we say these? Here we go. I must be filled. I may be filled. I should be filled. I shall be filled. Lord, bring your presence. Bring your Holy Spirit. Bring your presence, your stream of life. I know you live in us, Lord, but you also fall upon us. You fill us up to where we know your presence is with us. receive from him right now. Maybe you want to just make a gesture like you're receiving a gift from someone like extending your hand out and going, you know what, God? I receive your Holy Spirit. I want my heart softened up. I want the idols of my life removed so I can be free. enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.